good morning, afternoon or evening, I guess it depends when you're joining us on this playlist, um, but welcome to you as you join us as a church family as we gather online, albeit to worship God together. Well, these are strange times, but maybe becoming less strange as, as, a, as the norms kick in. I wonder what you did as lockdown began. What did you do whenever you heard shops would be closing? When you heard that you mightn't be able to get some things for a few weeks or months? People ran out and bought chest freezers to store up food. People ran out to buy hair clippers because they didn't, they didn't want to have long, unruly hair. Or they ran out and they bought seeds to grow herbs, fruit and veg in their garden. We bought uh, a little uh, watering can and gardening gloves for Seth uh, so he could join us while we were tending to the garden. And wow, hasn't it been a season where we've needed to tend to the garden? We've been blessed with some great weeks of weather. Um, It meant all our plants have started to grow fast and the trees are turning green. The biggest task in the garden at the moment has probably been keeping them watered, albeit we've had some water this week, but we've had to get the hose out and the watering can to tend to the plants. Uh, Jeremiah 17 uh, reflects this well as it tells us, blessed is the person who, who puts their trust in God, who puts their trust and their confidence in him. They're like a tree planted by a stream. Their roots go down and they don't worry about the heat, they don't worry about the drought because they will stay green and they will bear much fruit. It's a really awesome image for us as we think about our walk with God. We think about uh, planting our roots deep in him and bearing fruit. But it's a challenging one, isn't it? If we reflect on the past week, on the past few months or even the past few years, what fruit have we borne for God? Who have we shown God to? Have we reflected him well? I guess personally I haven't and it's always good in these times of reflection and lockdown has certainly given us that potential to to, to sit back and think about things. Um, wouldn't it be awesome if we use this as a chance to get our roots deeper into him, know his word better, know of him better and be able to reflect him better and bear much fruit. I pray that as we gather During this playlist, as we learn, as we praise God, as we read his word, that we will grow in our knowledge of him, our love of him, and that we'd reflect him more and bear much fruit. Shall we pray as we gather? Let's pray. Lord, as we gather this morning, and as we hear the birds, as we see the plants in our garden grow, as we see trees get greener and greener, Lord, creation screams of you. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that as we look around us, we are reminded of who you are and your great power over all things. And Lord, as we think about this image about growth and about a tree, Lord, as we think about that in our own lives and our spiritual growth, Lord, we're sorry for the fact that we have not borne as much fruit as we should have. Lord, where we've not reflected you in the places that we should have, we've not spoken up for you and said the things that we should have. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, as we gather now and as we head into the week, Lord, may we plant our roots deep in you. May we uh, spend our time, our spare time, if we get it, Lord, to to open your word, to resist the temptation to uh, flick out the TV remote or something else that will distract us. Lord, help us to focus our minds and our lives on you. Lord, pray that you do that as we gather now. Amen.
well as we do um, we're going to sing now and we're going to sing a new song Psalm 96 is a, is a Bible reading we're going to read later and it talks about a new song and as we sing this one it is new for us it's a song called I Choose to Worship it's by a local favourite of ours called Ren Collective so let's praise God together as we sing Hello, my name is Leslie. I'm one of the P3 and the P4 Sunday Club leaders and um, I have really enjoyed being with the boys and girls and getting to know them, uh, learning more about who God is and what that means for us and how we can um, follow him. And I suppose I was thinking about often in church, Christoph would say um, how he thinks it's really important that as a church we are growing in faith and following Jesus and that's not just a message or that's not just important for the adults and the big grown-ups in the church but that's also really important for you guys in church too we want to see you growing in faith and following Jesus as well it made me think about these sunflower plants that we are growing in our garden I wonder are you growing anything inside or outside of your house at the minute um, these are doing pretty well so far. We have been feeding them, giving them water and they've been getting plenty of sunshine. They're in nice rich soil that's going to give them food. We've even had to use a stick to hold one up and give it a bit more support as it grows. And we are not that much different, are we? We also need um, lots of different things in our life to grow and get bigger and stronger in our bodies. But we also need different things to help our faith grow. We need to read the Bible and learn more about who God is and what that means for us. We need to get together and, and learn from each other and support each other like this stick, sometimes helping each other along and holding each other up. And we need to pray to God and we need to ask for his guidance and help and listen out for what God's trying to, 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 to say to us. Um, so what I wanted to think about today was something that you could maybe do to help um, grow your faith or just to take time to be with God. Because um, sometimes, even though we're not out and about doing things, life can still be really busy. So I wanted to show you something that we have been doing in our house a bit during lockdown. And it's these um, prayer journal sheets. Uh, sometimes I find when I'm just trying to say words and talk to God, I, my thoughts can get a bit distracted and I can start thinking about other things. But I really like these because it helps keep me in the right place and it helps my mind to really focus on God and, uh, and what he wants me to be talking to him about. So you can upload this from um, Church Suite. Uh, and there's three boxes. One is what we want to say thank you to God for. One is what we want to ask him to bless and or who to bless. And then the final box is about how he, we want him to maybe help us in the coming day or in the coming week. So this is something you could do by yourself. This is something you could do with other people who you're living with at the minute. It's really up to you. And just to help you um, and maybe get some ideas or some thoughts, I wanted to show you ones that we have done in our house uh, recently. Um, 
Joseph found it easiest to use words. So for his, he used words and did some arrows and directions and things like that. Um, um, that helped him really kind of keep his focus on it. Richard, um, he really liked using pictures and you can do that as well. If you want to use pictures to help explain what you want to say thanks for, that's fine as well. And you can be as creative as you want. And Oliver too, he's a wee bit younger, he's six. He finds writing words a wee bit more tricky. So he found um, doing pictures was lovely, as, as easier for him as well. And it's lovely to see. I love reading through these. I love reminding myself um, of what we've been praying for, what God has been helping us with. Because when we look back and read the things that he's helped us with, we realise he's got us through all those things. Um, and as well, we can read and remind ourselves of the people and the things we've been praying for and how God has really worked in those situations. So I really hope you enjoy it and you have lots of fun. Please feel free to send them back, uh, send a picture of them. We'd love to see them up in the postcards. Um, so and I'm going to finish now and um, I'm going to have to go inside because it's taken so many outtakes that I'm literally burning. But I wanted to just pray for all the boys and girls and the young people in church. And I know I'll be joined by the rest of the church uh, in praying for you guys. Um, I wanted to pray using a prayer that Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, prayed for friends of his in a different church that he couldn't see and get to. But he wanted to write to them and encourage them to keep going and to pray for them. And this is what he said. This is my prayer for you guys. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So keep growing guys. God bless. Acts 16 verses 22 to 34. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds 
and then immediately he and all his family were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. This reading today is from Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations and his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all ye families and nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the field be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Things are opening up again, uh, perhaps slowly in the UK from what I'm hearing, but talking to some of my IFES colleagues around the world, I think there has been a gradual return to many of the things that we were doing uh, a few weeks ago. I know each country's rules will be different, but it does seem that one of the last groups that will be able to meet as normal will be the churches. One of the last things that we will be able to do whenever we do meet, sadly, is to sing together. I don't know about you, but for me, that's not good news. I'm not happy about that at all. Uh, and yet in a strange, perverse way, there is a, a nugget of good news hidden underneath that depressing prognosis. Because it means that there is a recognition still in our culture that churches include large numbers of people in close proximity, talking, being friendly, hugging, shaking hands. It's recognising that we believe in community, in fellowship and in being together. Furthermore, it recognises that a really important part of what we do whenever we do meet is to sing praise to God. You can imagine the COVID response team summit meetings. We can't let those churches back too soon because those guys just can't stop singing their hearts out. Even those in power who may have little personal experience of church recognise that social distancing and refraining from singing are two things that don't come naturally to Christians. We can't help ourselves. In this recommissioned series, we've been looking at a longish list of what defines the people of God. And we come this morning to the truth that we are a people who praise and a people who pray. There's a popular tendency to use the phrase worship to describe this. It's not terribly biblical. In fact, it's extremely misleading. A look at scripture, particularly what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, will show us that our whole lives of obedience are our spiritual worship that what goes on in a church service is only a small part of that. And what happens when the band starts up is actually only a small part of the small part. 
what many refer to as worship is actually simply corporate praise. Christoph and I have in the past had a bit of a joint facepalm when some product advertisements land in our pastoral inbox, advertising essential worship resources for your church. I think the worst is probably a popular software package called Easy Worship. If ever there was a misnomer, an unbiblical, even anti-biblical phrase, it is that. How something that's meant to demand my soul, my life, my all could be described as easy as beyond me. A year or two back, I came across another product called Extreme Worship, but better than Easy Worship, to be sure. But again, it seemed that it was the cutting-edge graphics, the intensity of the musical riffs, the pace of the songs, the expertise of the guys at the mixing desk that is what defined it as extreme. Now, don't get me wrong. I love our music. In fact, weeks of YouTube is kind of making me miss it more. I just love us to be back with Kira on the keys and Dan on the bass and Ryan on the drums and Alan and Paddy on guitar and the rest of us just doing what we do as a community, singing. I think it's just that the guys at Easy Worship and Extreme Worship have missed the point. They've played into this myth that worship is just about our corporate singing experience. And yet, we can't forget that it includes that. It's so much more than that. But it's not less than that. Singing's important. Praising, praying are important. It's what we do. So I guess we're feeling a, a little like the Israelites in Psalm 137. Uh, I'll be referring to a few passages from the Bible this morning, so you may find it helpful to hit pause and look them up. The first is Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There in the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we? How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a strange land? This is a strange land. How can we sing the songs of the Lord here in this mini exile? Well, as we look at what it means for us to be a praising people and a praying people, I see a couple of important things. Firstly, we'll see that the world needs a new song. Minneapolis needs a new song. St. Louis needs to hear a new song. Yemen needs a new song. In homes and hearts wracked with fear over COVID, they need to hear a new song. John Piper, it is, who's credited with coining the phrase, mission exists because worship doesn't. That's to say all the things that we have been looking at in recent weeks, being a people who attract others, people who proclaim the gospel, the people who are committed to the public square. All of that is important because not everybody is worshipping the true God. The goal and purpose of mission is to create worshippers, to increase the number of those who will be there fulfilling the vision of Revelation chapter 5, bowing down before the Lamb. Uh, this is what John saw, Revelation 5 verse 9. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Did you notice that John says it's a new song? It's an echo of Psalm 96 that we had read for us earlier. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. 
Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. What's interesting is that the psalmist is encouraging his people to sing of God's amazing acts in creation and redemption and delivering his people and being faithful to his promises. It's actually a very old song. It's as old as Exodus chapter 15, the song of Miriam. And yet he calls it new. See, the key thing is that with every new generation that emerges, it's a new song to them. With every new woman or man who becomes part of God's people, it's a new song for them. The psalmist himself knew that because he experienced it in Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. (coughs) He put what? A new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Do you see the connection? I was in the pit. He reached down and rescued me. He gave me a new song. What was it? It was a hymn of praise. Why? So that others will see it and put their trust in him because they need a new song. And secondly, the world needs to overhear us singing it. They can't hear it sung inside our buildings at the moment. Maybe that's a good thing because we have to sing it elsewhere now. Yes, online, opening up all sorts of new opportunities for people to tune in and overhear us. But also in our small neighbourhood bubbles, on the front line of our hospitals and care homes. They need to hear it in our words and actions. They need to hear our hope when many are despairing. They need to hear our trust when many are fearful. Maybe at first there seems to be a radical jump between last week's topic and today's. Last week it was a people who are committed to the public square. Now there's nothing on the surface more out there than that. Nothing more centrifugal, if you remember Christoph's basic chemistry lesson from a few weeks back. And then today we have a people who praise and pray. And on the surface there seems to be nothing more in-house, nothing more centripetal than that. Or is that the case? I remember my early days as a student leader and maybe even as a young minister debating with people as to whether we should have any singing at all whenever we were running events aimed at the non-churchgoer or the seeker. I would argue that if you were a common or garden agnostic or atheist, the last thing you wanted to do was to sit around while a group of Christians sang bad lyrics to even worse music. Now, I may have been displaying my own prejudices a little. Of course, there are occasions when it's not appropriate to sing at certain events, but I think I'd missed an important biblical truth. Praise can be, or even should be, evangelistic. Tim Keller uses a helpful phrase here. It's based on Paul's comments in 1 Corinthians 14 about ensuring our corporate worship services are such that when, not if, when an unbeliever or a seeker comes in, they will understand what is happening. Keller says we should do church as if we are being overheard. That is, we don't allow the presence of others to stop us from doing what we do, being who we are, declaring God's worth in our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, in our prayers and creeds and preachings, in our offerings, in our church family life. We do all of that. But we do ensure that everything we do is understandable and accessible and intelligible. 
we go for clarity over cliché every time. That's the spirit of Psalm 40. Many will see and put their trust in the Lord. That's the spirit of Psalm 96. Sing the new song among the nations. It's also the spirit of the other story that we heard read for us from Acts chapter 16. Worship that was overheard in a strange place. Circumstances couldn't have been more unfavourable for Paul and Silas. They were called to communicate, but their message had been misunderstood and deliberately twisted and rejected. They were called to be itinerant evangelists, yet they were in stocks and rendered immobile. They were called to serve the living God, and yet it seemed that God had abandoned them. They must have wondered, who are we? What's this about? What is there of use for us to do? However, from this unlikely series of events and through the apostles' evangelistic worship, a wonderful grace emerges. In spite of the injustice, they pray. In spite of the potential mockery of other angry prisoners, they praise. In spite of many unanswered questions about God's purposes, they worship. And then in the aftermath of utter chaos, when they could have served their own interests by escaping the situation, they witness. The jailer's job was on the line. His reputation, his life was on the line. But as he stood in that open prison gateway, peering in, presuming the prisoners, if they had any sense, would have gone. As his eyes adjusted to the dark, although he couldn't see for sure, those inside could see out. And his silhouette showed him about to use his sword on himself. And Paul saved his life by calling out, unbelievably, we are all here. Isn't that fascinating? That the power of the apostles evangelistic worship was such that it meant that other hardened pagan prisoners chose to stay with them rather than make their escape into the world. That's the radical effect of evangelistic worship. And look at the contrasts. The jailer washes and is washed. He bathed their wounds and he was baptised with his household. Their need was physical, his was spiritual, but they were both washed. Paul and Silas were set free from prisoners. The jailer was set free in Christ. Their need was physical, his was spiritual, but they were both set free. That's evangelistic worship. That's extreme worship. Last year's carol service, Christoph persuaded us that we should watch The Crown. We've watched all three series while we've been here. One of the highlights for me comes in series three and the episode Aberfan. It's about the tragedy of the landslide in the Welsh mining village of 1966. If you only watch one episode. And on his return from the funeral of the 116 children, coffins lined up in rows. Philip is reporting back to the Queen. She asks him about it. And he says, there was no shouting. There was no screaming. What did they do, asks the Queen. Philip says in bewilderment, they sang. They sang a hymn. And the Queen asks for a recording of the hymn that they sang. And the episode closes with her listening to it alone in the palace. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the nearer waters roll. While the tempest still is high. You see, extreme worship has nothing to do with the style, instrumentation, intensity of the leader, 
the beat and the rhythm, the length of time the songs are sung, how they make you feel or how cutting edge the church is. Extreme worship is when you've been misrepresented and lied about and beaten and thrown into painful stocks in a dark urine-infested cell. The first words on your lips are a psalm or a song of praise. Extreme worship is when you're standing on a bleak Welsh hillside, looking at the coffins of your son and daughter and five nephews and nieces, and you can sing, Jesus, lover of my soul. Extreme worship is when your wife and children have been lost at sea and you travel the same journey to the spot where their boat has gone down and you compose the words When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. That's why the next Extreme Worship album shouldn't be recorded in a studio in Palo Alto or an auditorium in London or Sydney or New York, but in a prison cell in Pyongyang or a basement in Kabul. Because the world needs to overhear those sorts of songs. Because we're a people who praise, the good and the bad, in the sun and, yes, in the wilderness too. We're a people of praise and we're also a people of prayer. And what was true of the evangelistic dimension of praise is also true of prayer. We may not think of the Old Testament people of God as being uh, cross-cultural evangelists. Often we stereotype them as being sectarian, a little racist, proud and isolationist. The only instance of cross-cultural evangelism we can usually think of was Jonah, and he's not a, a great example. And yet we know that Israel was chosen to bless the other nations. We know that Jerusalem became a cosmopolitan city from the days of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, who I think was the forerunner of all tourist Holy Land trips, right through to Pentecost, where there's a list of 15 nationalities gathered for that feast. Also, the Jewish diaspora existed throughout the known world. They saw themselves, to some extent, as little evangelistic communities. Daniel and his three friends may have had to negotiate a lion's den and a fiery furnace on the way, but it was their prayer life, who they prayed to, and more importantly, who they refused to pray to, that caused a national scandal and eventually spoke truth to power. When we pray, the faithful people of God from Daniel through Paul to us are saying there is a higher throne. All political power is subordinate, not ultimate. And that is why any confusing of the kingdom of God with a national or political identity is an act of idolatry and betrayal to God. But for the purposes of these last few minutes, I want to draw your attention to three things that might help us live out our calling to be a people who pray. They are a prayer, a letter and a sermon. The prayer is found in 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon dedicates the temple, this symbol of Israel's religion, if any occasion could have been hijacked by a display of ethnic triumphalism, this would have been it. The temple would be the envy of everyone around. Hey, says Israel, and it's ours. But what does Solomon do? Right in the middle of his prayer, verse 41 of 1 Kings chapter 8, he finds a place to pray for the outsider. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray towards this temple, 
then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you. Nowhere in the Old Testament will you find such an open-ended, unqualified, unconditional prayer for God's own people. And yet Solomon prays it for the foreigner. Our prayers must be generous. Asking for others more than we ask for ourselves. Oriented towards those we don't even know yet. Those who are different from us, those who are not part of us, asking God to deal generously with them, to hear their cry, to meet with them and make himself known to him. We pray for the nations. The letter comes from Jeremiah chapter 29, a letter to those in exile, those who couldn't sing the Lord's song in the strange land as we saw earlier. Those who were just sitting, waiting, wondering when they'll ever get home. A little bit like Gwen and me at the moment. Jeremiah says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile, says the Lord. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Our prayers must be generous. They must also be counterintuitive. The exiles were probably thinking, hey, we can't even pray in Babylon, and yet you expect us to pray for Babylon. Yes, I do, says God. And don't just pray for my judgment to come on them. Pray for its prosperity. Pray for its flourishing. Pray for its redemption. Now that's counterintuitive. Sometimes I hear some Christians speaking a lot about Israel and how the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And it does, Psalm 122. But I don't often hear those same people say with equal passion that the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Babylon. Pray for those who seem to be arraigned against you and all you believe. But it does. And I find it interesting that when that letter was read to the first batch of exiles, it would very probably have been heard by one young man who took its message seriously and allowed it to shape him. A young exile called Daniel. Praying for Babylon would mean for him, praying for the very people who wanted to kill him. Which is why thirdly we come to the sermon. Most famous sermon of all, in fact, known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in Matthew 5, the famous words, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Our prayers must be generous, they must be counterintuitive, and they must be grace-saturated. He asks no less of us. And he lived it himself, right up to the moment they put the nails in his hands and he prayed, Father, forgive. There's a progression there, isn't there? Pray for the outsider, for the world. But not just for the outsider. Pray for their cities and cultures that at the moment seem so anti-God. The only weapon God sanctions in a culture war is the weapon of prayer. And then, don't just pray for their cities and all in the abstract. Pray specifically for those who might be directly persecuting you. 
Ask for more than you ask for yourself. Because if you just love those who love you, you just pray for your own needs. Says Jesus, pagans do that. This is what makes us different. Prayer can be difficult. We all suffer from wandering minds, distractions, tiredness. And that's just when we're praying for ourselves and about ourselves. This example of the sort of prayer the Bible encourages us to do is even tougher. Sometimes it's a case of we want to pray, but we struggle. But this is different. Many of us don't even want to engage in this sort of prayer. It drives us way beyond our comfort zones. It's a battle. But if the battle belongs to the Lord, then those participating in the battle need to stay in touch with their commanding officer. If Jesus needed to do that throughout his ministry at crucial times, at his baptism, at his temptation, before he chose his disciples, before he sent them out on a mission, if he needed to pray at those crucial times, so do we. Prayer is the church's battlefield radio. It's not a domestic intercom for the temporal comforts of the saints. It's for those on active service. Which is why Paul finishes his passage in Ephesians 6 where he talks about the armour of God. He finishes it by saying, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Because prayer is as important as everything else on that list of the Christian's armour. As important as truth, salvation, faith, righteousness. In the Old Testament, the temple was the house of prayer. It was a place that by its witness kept God in the middle of society and the world. And that by its prayer kept society and the world before God. And we the church are now the house of prayer. By our witness we show that God is still in the world. And by our prayer we keep the world before God. And we can still do that. We can continue to do that even as the doors remain closed in Ballyhackamore. Even as the blue group and the orange group and the green group and the red group still remain silent. We can still sing the Lord's praise in a strange land. We can still give the world the new song they crave. We can still pray generously, counterintuitively and graciously. Until heaven comes and we are all finally the worshippers we were created to be. So let's do it for his glory. As we come to pray, I will read some verses from Psalm 9. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know you put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, at the end of a week where we have witnessed riots and protests across the globe in response to the police killing of George Floyd, we are reminded that there are so many people in the world who are horrifically oppressed because of the colour of their skin. We acknowledge that the history of so many developed nations, including ours, was built through the brutal mistreatment of others, and we bow before you our hearts filled with sorrow. Please root out anything within us that believes ourselves to be better than others, that sees any human life as worth less than ours, 
be it because of race, nationality, religion, or class. Forgive us, Lord. God of justice, stronghold for the oppressed, we pray along with our brothers and sisters in America for those in despair at this injustice. In the cities where anger has boiled over, may your church bring peace and healing. And we ask that you will use these events to bring change. We pray that those in positions of power and influence will boldly seek justice, that there will be a steady move to fix the structures and systems that are broken, to remove those with racist beliefs, to punish those who have committed crimes. Father God, stronghold for the oppressed, bring refuge and hope. Let many raise their eyes to you. Lord God, the psalmist calls you a stronghold for those in trouble. We are in trouble now, Father. As we continue to face lockdown, many of us are weary. Many fear for job security, for the health of loved ones. We feel like we are peering through the mist with no idea what is ahead. Thank you that you are our stronghold and we have nothing to fear. The psalmist tells us that those who know your name put their trust in you. Mighty God, help us to put our trust in you. Help us to trust you when we can't figure out what's next. Whatever is ahead, you already know it. We pray for the leadership of the United Kingdom down in Dublin and for Arlene Foster, Michelle O'Neill and their advisors here in Northern Ireland. Give them wisdom as they begin to bring these islands out of lockdown. Cause them to lead well, taking these tentative steps forward, balancing health and economy. We pray that there will not be a second wave of coronavirus. We pray for those in our congregation who are managers, employers, those in positions which require them to make decisions about furloughs, redeployments, innovative new ways ahead, and possibly redundancies. Father, fill these people with your wisdom and your grace as they make these decisions as they, and as they communicate with those they serve. And for those facing change at work, an uncertain future, give them peace, a peace that comes from trusting you, our stronghold. We pray that in our places of work, you will use us as a witness, that those around us will see that we trust you and that in a time like this, that makes all the difference. You, O oh Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Thank you for this great promise. Help us as a congregation to continue to remind each other of your unchanging love to lift each other's eyes back to you. Amen. Hi, folks. I really should be able to be quite quick with the announcements this week. Uh, first of all, and, and very importantly, I just want to thank everybody who's been involved in the service today. Thank you to Colin for leading, uh, for Leslie speaking to the kids, Monty for teaching, uh, thank you to all those readers, uh, Joanne, 
with Noah, Reuben, Daniel, and Caleb. Really appreciated all of that. And then Jenny for leading us in our prayers. Just want to mention a few things that are in the extras for this week. Um, P7s, you got your news about your new school this week. Um, there's a, a thing there you could look out for in the, the extras, and that's a, a video from SU, It's Your Move, Part 1. Do take a few minutes each week to look at these videos over the next three weeks. Uh, they're going to be a real encouragement to you and a real help as you get ready for big school next year. Uh, just a few more things that are in the extras there. There's a, a video for kids by Made for More. There's an update from Storehouse telling us how they've been responding uh, to the coronavirus pandemic. There's a, a video I wanted to put up because I saw it this week. It's called A Prayer for Wales. Uh, it's by the guy we use occasionally with the spoken word videos, Di Woolridge. Um, the thing that I liked about this was how it was Christians engaging in the public square and particularly in praise and prayer. So it's some of the stuff we've been thinking about the last couple of weeks. Ha have a look at the prayer for Wales if you have time to. Leslie mentioned a sheet that the kids could use to, to pray, uh, to write prayers. Uh, you'll find that in the resources section in my church suite. And then just one last thing to mention this week. We had a birth in the church family, not this week, but last week. Uh, so Martha Johnston was born. Uh, Martha is a new daughter for Ashley and Phil Johnson. So congratulations to Ashley and Phil. You guys might get to see this video. Um, Martha didn't get to be mentioned in last week's service because I got the, the text telling me about her birth 10 minutes after I'd recorded the video. So I suppose what we're saying is if you want to be mentioned in a city of love gathering, your baby needs to be born really before tea time on a Friday. So any expectant mothers, if you could please bear that in mind going forward. Bye for now. While we're closing our time of worship together now, and while there's some extras and videos that follow, um, I just thought I'd close um, with some uh, words uh, to encourage you. As we think about a new song, and as I think about that during the lockdown uh, fiasco that we find ourselves in, uh, maybe you've been doing it too, but we've been relying a fair bit on CBBS. And there's a program there, well, I'll not vouch for all the programs, there's one called Rara, um, and it has a very catchy theme tune. And you can't help that when you hear it, maybe in the morning, you're still humming the tune in the evening. And we all know of songs like that, um, that we get stuck in our head. I pray that as we've gathered the, uh, in this playlist, as you've learnt uh, from God through Monty, um, that you are energised and enthused and encouraged to head out into this week with a new song, with a new spring in your step to reflect God. So as you head out into this week, uh, singing God's praises, reflecting him in all those front lines that you find yourselves in, that you would go with Christ at the centre, filled with his spirit and with the strength from the Father. God bless you this week. <laughs>